it's kind of like a foundation. You have to go in, you have to dig, you have to make sure the foundation's solid and that everything's in place and then you can build. Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision We will always have enough cash around. Strictly business. Business. Hi, finance leaders, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, and I have the privilege of talking to talented finance leaders who are helping exciting companies grow effectively. In this episode, I spoke with Myung Kang, consultant CFO to companies like Notion, where she's head of finance. Notion is a truly impressive software that combines documents, notes, project planning tools, and wikis into one workspace for your company. Founded in 2012, Notion has raised $67 million, including a $50 million round in April this year that saw the company valued at $2 billion. Myung has been with Notion since August 2018 and also works as consultant CFO for a huge range of successful startups, including many which have now exited. We spoke about how she builds new finance teams from scratch, the stories behind 17 successful startup exits in her portfolio, and why she loves working for a handful of startups all at once. As always, this show is brought to you by CFO Connect, the global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.eu and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback. Myung Kang, welcome to CFO Year. Oh, thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, perhaps the best place to start would be if you could just introduce yourself to our CFO Year audience. So I am a consulting CFO for a group of startups. I usually only have two or three at a time. And at this time, my current set of startups are uh, Notion, spatial and preset yeah and and why if you don't mind me asking how come you aren't full-time with one of them what is it about the sort of consultant arrangement that works so well uh so originally i did it so that i could have flexibility for my family at the time when i started my business about 14 15 years ago i had three kids who were younger when you're a consultant, you're treated very differently. Like you leave when you leave. And however, as it turns out, I've really enjoyed the mix of clients that I've had. And I've also enjoyed how I learned different things from each client. And then I realized because so many of my startups have been purchased that it's sort of like having a you know diversified stock portfolio. Right. So I'm not investing in one company at a time, but I'm investing in multiple companies, just like you wouldn't put all your money in one, you know, company. You I don't like to put all my time in one company and also getting, you know, a variety of stock options is, you know, optimal, truthfully. Do you uh, have a particular sort of flavor of company that you like working with? Is it typically tech companies? Um, does it really matter, the, the sort of company that you're working with? So I tend 
to only work with tech companies. Um, I think I like working with companies that have innovative ideas. And also, I enjoy working with teams that have the energy to want to build something new and solve a different problem differently. And do you find that? the So, for instance, you're working with Notion Spatial and Preset at the moment. Are they... Are they quite different companies in the ways that they approach um, problems or are they sort of relatively similar? I think they're all the same in the way that the t- the founders are all um, creative people, right? They're problem solvers, um, I think, but they're all different in the way they approach things and they all have different business models. So, And we'll talk about those more in a, in a second, but I think we'll have lots of listeners who, like me, have never used Spatial. So I wonder, I mean, we're, we're talking about, with Spatial, we're talking about a VR headset, but for but for meetings. So you feel like you are physically in a room with other people. Oh, yeah. No, in fact, Spatial actually has these setups um, where you can sit around a table and pretend you're actually there. We could set up a recording with you sometime. Wow. There. <laughs> yeah, we can even. I could. I could. We could even lend you a um, a headset too, an Oculus. So and, and it would feel like we could sit ourselves up in a virtual radio studio where you'd have a microphone and I'd have a microphone, and we'd feel like we were really conducting a radio interview. Yeah, we could even do it like a talk show <laughs> if you wanted to. I I could get them to try to design a talk show. That would be incredible, like Alan yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we will certainly talk more about Notion because, as I told you um, when we were speaking earlier, we're big users of Notion. And so I am pretty keen to get into that. And I think a lot of our listeners will know Notion quite well. But maybe since we've talked about Notion a little bit and Spatial, uh, what about Preset as well? Um, preset, they're doing, it's, it's a little bit harder to explain because it's not going to be as, um, digestible for many people because it's not really a consumer hmm. oriented product. It, what it is, is it's um, creating data lakes and, you know, data visualization, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, you've heard of Looker yep. and Tableau, right? Yep. This would be kind of that kind of data tool, right? So, right mm-hmm. now, there's a lot of data, right, that everyone's collecting, right? When people just see the spreadsheets and charts, right, they're like, well, what am I supposed to do with all this information, right? And Max, our CEO, has come up with a way to make it visual so that you can make decisions with those with that data. Yeah, and I think you're right that uh, I certainly know Looker fairly well and Tableau a little bit as well. A lot of our listeners will, it might be the other way around, where they use Tableau or Looker or Gecko Board or some other um, variation on that. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, what exactly, this is maybe a weird question, but what do these companies actually need from you uh, as a kind of consultant CFO? What are, the, what are the services that you're providing? So it depends on the stage. Right. So when I first joined Notion over two years ago, they were less than 10 people. And, you know, their benefits were kind of mediocre. Right. And their finance 
It was okay. Um, I think the person who was doing their books was an offline bookkeeper, right? And mm. and I was like, I kind of looked at them and I said, you know, you do realize there should have been revenue recognition. She goes, no, I just put in putting it all in revenue. And, and I'm like, well, no, <laughs> right? And so a lot of times when I come in, I'm, you know, I have to clean things up, right? And so I make the, I make, I clean up the books and I also hire people to help me. I also take care of a lot of the people operations bit with benefits and insurance and sometimes, you know, legal too, because they don't have time for a full-time lawyer. And because I've been doing this enough, I know one, how to read the simple documents and then the ones, and I also know how to organize it too and know when to ask for a document, right? Like an agreement or with finance, you know, it's very standard. I come up, I make sure that we're GAP compliant, that everything's done according to GAP principles. And then I make sure that we're compliant with taxes. And then I come up with a set of reports and I even have, a standard set of reports for investors for the board meetings that I give every quarter. Um, and then I have a budget, you know, budgeting spreadsheet that I know how to do. So I guess what I do is I do three main things, which is finance, a little bit of people ops and some legal. And I also know when to ask, you know, when to get certain legal counsel involved because I think that the firm you choose is really important too. So you have sort of go-to people for those sorts of services? I do. Mm. They must like you. (laughs) Well, um, I like them. I appreciate them. I mean, I know that some of them, when I wake up in the morning, sometimes sometimes our attorneys will send me emails at 1.30 a.m., Right. Because they 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 worked hard to get everything done. Right. Yeah. So you have that level of trust with with your suppliers, I suppose. I do. Yeah. I do. And it's important because you can't do everything yourself. Right? Which I guess is really aside from all of the hands on stuff that you're doing, this this is really what these companies are looking for from you, especially when they're those 10 person companies, as you said, with Notion. They want to make sure that. Uh, they obviously don't know probably hiring processes either. Definitely not finance processes, definitely not legal processes. And so mm-hmm. they, just by bringing you in, they just almost have a stamp of approval that, yeah, we're, we're doing this right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And they also don't want to have to think about it. Mm. Right. Like in some ways it makes them, they, instead of having to deal with all these things, like, you know, who pays the bills, you know, oh, you know, getting the monthly reports together, which a lot of them really don't know how to put the monthly reports together or a budget or like worrying about insurance compliance and legal. They'd rather just offload that to somebody, right? So that they can make a product and they can sell the product. And that's that's really what I offer Right, is like they take things off of their plate. You sent through a list of, it's probably 20 companies 
throughout that time, have you kind of developed a routine when you walk into a new company? Do you do you go into a new company and you're looking for the same kind of markers of either, oh, this is missing um, or or these people are missing, these processes are missing, and that's where you need to start? Is it this relatively similar each time? Yeah, relatively similar each time. And for finance, it's easy. You open up. I, I am very hands-on at first because I, you know, I like to see it myself. And I'm like, okay, where's the balance sheet? Where's it at? And then I need to be able to see all the supporting documentation. And if it's not there, then I know what's wrong. And then I have an accountant who's worked with me since 1999 throughout various startups. And I bring her in and I'm like, hey, Annie, clean this up. And she she does it. She does a marvelous job of doing it. And, you know, I know that she'll do it in detail. And because she's been on my team so long, I know we've passed audits and we've been acquired successfully by other companies that I know her schedules are great. So I just do that. I ask for all the tax filings. I look at all the documentation like I go to the payroll and I get the list of employees and I'm like, okay, where are their offer letters? I make sure I'm very detail oriented because I want to make sure everything's in place. It's kind of like a foundation. You have to go in, you have to dig, you have to make sure the foundation's solid and that everything's in place. And then you can build from there. Are your finance processes stuck in the stone age? Huge delays, long email trails, and everything written on paper? In 2020? It's time to evolve. Spendesk gives you automated expense management and smart company cards, ready to use on day one. Every team member can spend safely, even while remote. And finance teams save on average two plus days per month on tedious admin. There's no lengthy setup and no training required. Just expense processes that belong in this day and age. Don't be a dinosaur. Use Spendesk. On that list, uh, I counted 17 companies that you've been, you were the CFO or, or heavily involved in that have since been acquired. Is there a secret that everybody needs to know? I, what are you doing right? I don't know, actually. <laughs> I think I've been extremely lucky. Um, and some of them are repeat. Uh, what I always joke around is repeat offenders, right? Like there's one, uh, there are a few people. Actually, at Notion, um, I work with, the person who brought me into Notion was Akshay Kathari. And he's the COO at Notion, and he was the founder of Pulse that got bought by LinkedIn. By LinkedIn, right. Yeah. And ba- I basically, I would follow him anywhere because Akshay's a great guy to work with. And then there's another c- guy named Isaac Roth, who I worked with twice at two companies. One was bought by Red Hat, and the other one was bought by IBM. And then there's another guy named Sonny who I worked with at Gluco, a little bit for Extreme and Autonomic. And Extreme was bought by Pivotal. Gluco is still operating as a company. And Extreme Labs, I mean, sorry, Autonomic was bought by Ford. But he also brought me into Grok, which is another 
one of my clients and then Isaac brought me into Glint. And so my whole network, mm-hmm. I just been fortunate that people are always willing to work with me again. I've been lucky that way that people are just so nice to me. Are these all physically in the same, or most of them physically in the same place, or are they all over, the, I mean, when you were working with them, um, all over the US or even in Europe? Um, most of the startups I work with were in the Bay Area. Um, mm-hmm. I once worked with one company in Kentucky, and then that didn't, it was traveling to Covington, Kentucky was kind of challenging, so I actually ended up having finance brought over to um, Cupertino for a little bit before they hired a full-time person. Spatial headquartered in New York. And then SwiftKey had a small office in SF, but their main office was in London. Oh, and Songkick was based in London. The reason I asked was I was trying to get a sense of quite clearly you have a this nice um, community that you're a part of. And, and so you're able to go back and work with the same people over and over again. And they know you and they want you. And I was trying to get a sense of whether that's more a question of physical proximity or the kinds of companies and the I guess the way that they relate to one another might make you a natural fit to sort of move around within that ecosystem. Actually, I think it's, um, I belong to a certain ecosystem. So that once in the Bay Area, you're in a circle, I think everybody knows you. That makes sense. It's a similar situation. We have sort of a similar situation here. In, in I'm in Paris. We, we're based in Paris. And there is this sort of growing startup ecosystem here where once you know one person, you realize they introduce you to two people and suddenly you know the three important people that you need to know and then that turns into six people at the next drinks that you go out for and, and it grows quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so I was I, I was interested if it was a sort of similar situation in, in San Fran. No, oh, definitely, definitely. I think it's a small valley here. I'd like to keep talking about acquisitions because I because I think that's obviously something that uh, a lot of our listeners are going to be really interested in. Um, clearly, we, we deal with a lot of CFOs from startups who will eventually either be thinking IPO or exit or whatever. Do you enjoy that um, that exit process, that, that process of being acquired? I enjoy the feeling of success afterwards. During the process, it's, you know, it can be yeah. stressful because it's a lot of long hours and it's it's like pulling documents and a lot of long meetings and schedules and things you need to prepare for them. But I also am one that I think because of my personality, you organize everything beforehand. And so I feel like if, as long as you keep things organized before, it's not as it's not a really a scramble as much as, you know, you just have to constantly give files. Mm. How, how would you say it compares with the, the fundraising process? Oh, it's much more in depth. Um, the fundraising mm. process, a lot of them, in some ways it's similar, but it's much lighter with that, you know, with the fundraising because they don't quite go into every balance sheet detail like uh, the VCs don't bring in a KPMG to look at your balance sheet and look at every single schedule whereas in IBM like it's not only that they looked at it they literally produced like a like a 200 page book and like we had a nine hour balance sheet review 
Oh my goodness. And so, I mean, it, it ended up being only three or four hours because I'm pretty, I guess I would say I'm pretty nerdy. Like I don't allow odd things on the books, like no loans to founders, no loans to like, you know, employees so that then they dig and they say, Oh, what's that? And I don't, I don't really allow for strange things to be put on the balance sheet so that it's questionable. Right. And as long as you have everything neatly mm. reconciled, which my employees do, um, I have a fantastic team who they reconcile things so that it's fine. In fact, at Notion, we we've had audits and we've passed them because my team's been great. This is a team. This team lives outside of each company. It's it's your consultancy with people. No, so they actually. I always have them work directly for the company. So, but I hire within there. Right. Sorry, just to clarify, you. It's different people in each company. No, you you build a team in Notion, and then you work with them. You build a different team at Spatial, and you work with them, or you bring the team around. The first version. Yeah, the first. There's a different team at each company. But in each case. They are disciplined and uh, know what's required. Yes. Well, you you know what you need to look for. You don't really look for a creative type with accounting, right? Creative accounting is not the best thing. You look, you want to make sure that you are with people who are methodical and detail oriented. What is your role specifically in the fundraising or the acquisition process? And I ask because I'm always interested in knowing the difference between where the CFO sits and perhaps where the other executives sit. Well, most of the fundraising stages I've done are earlier, right? So it's usually the CEO who does the presentation at the VC meetings or the founders and, you know, some maybe some product people, you know, and so... I usually, I do make some of the exhibits, right, for the presentation. And then once we get the term sheet, I do a lot of the back end stuff. Like I meet with the lawyers, I go over the documents and, you know, I make sure that the doc, the data room is well populated. And then I also talk to the lawyers who will say, okay, if we, they propose this and if, we accept it, then this is what it means. Which one, do you want it or not, right? And then but within acquisitions, some are easier than others, right? Because if there, are, I have been at, in acquisitions, or not acquisitions, but um, fundraising points where the company wasn't doing well. So then they're asking a lot in terms of liquidation per- preferences, conversions, right? And that's a very hard conversation. And so then I actually have to draw it out mathematically to the founders. Like, okay, if we accept this liquidation, if we're bought for anything less than 80 million, common's not going to get anything. So like, I'll make those kinds of, you know, spreadsheets of like different mm-hmm. tier outcomes. Uh, preferred shares would get this much and common would get that much. And so... I do more the back end work, managing the due diligence and also managing the analysis. Do you have any acquisitions or I suppose fundraising processes that uh, really stand out for you? Ones that you either were particularly challenging or that you really enjoyed or found to be rewarding? I think the last 
one that I did with Notion was in some ways very easy because, and you can read Sarah Cannon's blog on why she invested in Notion, but it helps to have an investor who believes in the product so strongly that it wasn't adversarial at all. It was very like smooth. And also it was Notion's a company where I think so many people wanted to invest in it that we we didn't have a hard time filling that round. It was, mm. you know, in fact, we had to decline people from participating. So so that was like on one extreme of easy. I had one that was particularly bad because and I'm not going to say the company, but it, 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 we were at the end mm. and we were running out of money. And then what happened was the investor pulled out. No, of course. Another group of people came in and they said, okay, uh, the existing, they said, okay, we'll go ahead and we'll do the round, but we want liquidation preferences of this much and it's pay to play. Mm. Right. And so then that wiped out other preferred who weren't willing to participate. And they also got some of the common people, common shareholders to get in line with them. And so then it was just Hmm. adversarial, right? It was very unpleasant. So then, and we we couldn't pass it. So there we are running. And I actually had to talk to the lawyers and give notice to our employees because you have to give them warning that they don't, you don't have enough money to cover payroll. Right. Right. And so then the way the, the existing shareholders took care of that was they said, okay, we're just going to have, we're going to give you a loan instead of a round. And the loan is going to be seven times 700% interest. (laughs) And we did it because it was just one of those things where, we really had to go back to the wall. And so we were there was no choice. in the position of having to shut down the company. I would say I've been fortunate that most of mine have been on the nice extreme of like transactions. But, you know, it there is a variety. And I've had to shut down a company once. And I hope never, ever to do that again. Uh, why don't we explore that a little bit more? Obviously, you don't need to say the name of the company, but how how is that as an experience? Um, it was not pleasant um, because you know it was in two thousand one when you know the economy was going through a hard time. We had to lay people off during a hard time, and you know and. It was just one of those things where, like, we we were trying to sell stuff, but, like, who wants to buy a whole set of cubicles when, like, everybody else is shutting down? Because, you know, there was a dot-com bus. Mm. You know, we just had to liquidate everything. It was just, it was a very, it was the only time that I've had to shut down a company. It was depressing outcome. I try to look for the signs now. (laughs) If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders, like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs, and a one-on-one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. 
So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us. Do you look particularly closely at things like the company culture when you're considering clients? I do. I, well, it's so, it's hard to tell though, because when you interview at a company, it's sort of like dating, right? Where, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. everybody puts their best face forward. So it's hard to tell. Um, so I guess the way I always do it is I look at the product and, you know, when I, and then when, if it's, if it's possible, I try the product. I have to believe that the product is one that other people are going to like and has hopes for commercialization. A lot of times culture is driven by the founder. So I talk to the founder and, you know, you try to assess, mm. do they have good work ethics? Are they moral? You know what I mean? Um, will they make the right decisions? Because I think culture comes from top down. Right. And so one of the things that I admired about Notion was Ivan and Simon mm -hmm. were and um, Akshay are incredibly driven and focused people. And that reflects throughout the company. I think that is a group of people that they're just very focused. Do you know what I mean? So like that's it's almost contagious or like. And also since they do the hiring, like Ivan still interviews everyone. You need everybody to be dedicated to make this work. How can you and the finance teams that you build add the maximum value to a company that you're working with? The maximum value to the growth, I, I guess I'm really focused on. How can you help the company grow? Well, we try to implement processes to make things easier for the employees. One, I had the VP of marketing saying, okay, Miang, we're going to hire a bunch of people to do this marketing campaign. How can we make this fast and easy for both of us, right? And and still be compliant because she's very respectful of my um, adherence to compliance. The best thing is for finance to make compliant processes that are easy for people. The other way I like to add value is I like to sometimes pull up reports to people and say, do you realize this costs this much? And this mm -hmm. is how much you're spending. Do you mind if I just try to go and negotiate a contract instead of having all these different, you know, licenses that we put it, roll it into one and get a heavier discount, right? So mm -hmm. that's another way that finance can kind of be a partner but this is where I think not being in an office makes it a little bit harder is because Slack can be terse. One of the, the best things I ever did in my professional life, which hasn't been all that long, but it, you know it's long enough, was uh, I was invited to a writing f uh, email for customers workshop. Oh. And it was, it was fascinating because, you know, everything that you think is right, like being super polite, long introduction that, hi, I hope you're doing well, all of that sort of stuff. And immediately they say, no, that's useless. Nobody wants to read that. Put everything essentially in the subject line. And I think now the new version of that has to be how to write for Slack. Yeah. yeah. How to commute. Yeah. Like we need to sit down as a company, essentially bring in someone and explain, do you realize that when you write this, this is what the person reads? Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, there's also, actually, um, 
a book I've been meaning to read. It's like called at the table or something. It's about customer service and like, and how to talk to people. But I think that kind of those principles could probably be applied internally. And then probably is mm. actually more important because you work with these people and you have to develop relationships. So the thing that's been odd is notion has grown twice as much since after COVID. We were only 35 people before COVID. Wow. And now we're over 70. Yeah. And we are actually the smallest company on that fortune, you know, cloud, 100 cloud companies. We're the smallest by far, right? A lot of companies have thousands of people. Mm. But still, it's hard to be at a company where you haven't met half the people in person. Yeah. It's true. Right? Yeah. And I think that's probably the case for lots of companies at the moment. It's it's like that for us. We've added, uh, I don't know, 50, 60 employees since since March, maybe more. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty I've never met in person. Yeah. And then Slack won't, like when I read Slack from somebody I've met, I know exactly, I can hear them saying it in my mind, yeah. right? Like, hey, Myung, you know? But like, if you read it from somebody, you're like, hmm. <laughs> what exactly do they mean <laughs> we have um one of our values is is to act for the customer which i'm sure is a similar value in a lot of companies but one thing that we're constantly reminding ourselves and each other of is that our customers are also our colleagues if that makes sense yeah. so in some positions i don't personally talk to customers every day but i do talk to our sales team every day and i do talk to our product teams all the time so they're my customers and i have to still think how am I going to communicate with my customer, even though they're actually my colleague? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, it's time now for our uh, five quick fire questions. As I tell every person every week, you don't actually have to answer these quickly. They're just really five questions. Um, so they can be one word answers. They, you can go for as long as you want um, if you have okay. to say. Cool. So the first one's simple. What is one finance tool that you couldn't live without? Notion. How do you use Notion for finance? I use it to document processes and communicate processes. So I find that if you communicate processes in an organized fashion, right, with examples, screenshots, that it's it's helpful for the users, for the other employees. And we also use it to um, organize our month-end process. And um, we have all our month-end schedules there. We have all our links. So, you know. If there was one part of your day-to-day that you could outsource completely and forget about, what would it be? It would be a lot of the transactional work, truthfully, like um, Mm. accounts payable, credit cards, refunds, things like that. Just, you know, general transactional work, there's, there tends to be, it tends to only grow as the company grows. It doesn't get any better. What's the best advice you've ever received? Be kind. So I try to use that. I try to use it all the time. Um, I use it when I try to explain things to people or, and I think it, if you use this principle and you treat people well and respectfully, that that they're more willing to work with you. And since finance is, contrary to what some people may think, it is collaborative. And so if you're not kind and respectful to others, they're not really going to help you out. Mm. 
Which other finance leaders do you talk to or learn from regularly? Um, so I talk to a group and I also belong to um, a group on LinkedIn called Sequoia CFOs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or Sequoia Finance People. Um, and then I also talk to a few others. Um, I have a friend named Lenora who was actually the head of finance for Evernote at one point. Uh, but she and I talk about ideas and we share resources. There's a woman named Mary Korn who was also CFO that I talked to. But the other big source of like support that I tend to get are from two other friends. One's a friend from college who has known me forever. So like whenever I'm thinking through clients and which ones to take or not take or leave, she kind of helps me through that. Her name is Kim, and she actually works in retail. She's a vice president for retail. And then my other mm-hmm. friend who's an attorney, Stacy. she kind of, sometimes I talk to her about legal things, like how much risk mm-hmm. do you think it is? And, you know, she she's a, she's a good resource. And also she knows me personally, so she's I think it's always good to have friends who are willing to support you in your career. Well, hopefully on a similar note, why did you join CFO Connect? I joined it because, um, one, I like the international aspect of it because a lot of the companies I work for are growing internationally. Um, Mm. And I also joined it because I needed, I'd like a set of peers to talk to if I have an issue. Um, which would be good or a challenge. And I'm, you know, I think it's always good to have more resources than less, right? And also it's good to have a set of peers also. Myung Kang, thank you for joining us on CFO Year. Thank you for having me. CFO Year is brought to you by CFO Connect, the fastest growing global community for finance leaders. Join us for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for CFOs. Join the community and exchange ideas with CFOs from the most exciting companies in the world. Just visit cfoconnect.eu.